All right, everyone, welcome once again to another installment of our weekly chapter chats through the book of Acts. We are here today in Acts the 10th chapter, which, Jason, this kind of signals now we are officially kind of, we're getting into almost about a third of the way through Acts. Hey, we're doing pretty good. We're in the double digits now. Yeah, we're in the double digits Moving now, on. so uh, uh, we're, we're, we can start to see a little flicker of light near the end of the tunnel. We're <laughs> We're still looking for a late summer conclusion to Acts, but I've enjoyed talking about uh, about the first nine chapters and chapter ten. I'm certain will be will be no different. And when we concluded chapter nine, uh, you made the comment that um, you know you're really interested in this chapter, as am I, because uh, we're Gentiles, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know we've been seeing primarily the gospel being uh, you know ushered to. To the Jews, and that was, of course, that was a matter of of of, of prophecy being fulfilled. And that was part of God's plan. Um, but at the same time, we're also seeing more and more resistance, more and more Jews rejecting that message. And so now, you know, God, in His foresight, uh, by the time we get to Acts chapter ten, sees that this is this is the time now to kind of officially, if you will, open it up uh, to all people. So now we're going to start purposely taking. Uh, this message to uh, a whole new audience, um, and uh, like I said, uh, I'm, I'm glad of that because I'm part of this audience that chapter 10 is is describing. I think the the past two chapters in this chapter together help us to see nobody is too far away yep. to to be saved to come to the Lord. We had chapter eight, we had those Samaritans first of all, and then we had this foreigner who yep. uh, you know came, and then we had. Saul, a persecutor of Christians, who he can come in now. So who does that leave out? Well, <laughs> the rest of the world that's not Jewish. Right. Uh, and so now, can they? I mean, Jesus can reach all these other people. I think we're going to see. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he can. Well, and and this, the, you're right. This is kind of the conclusion of my fi- kind of favorite trifecta of chapters eight, nine, and ten. And I think I made the comment in previous uh, discussions that. All three of these stories of the of the of, of the Ethiopian man, and then of Saul, and then now of Cornelius, is we see great sincerity in all three of those cases being demonstrated, and we see God honoring the sincerity of these people by giving them the opportunity uh, to have a crack to do the right thing. It's not just enough just to be sincere. That's a good start, though. Um, but real the real test of sincerity is when we know what's right and we do it. Uh, sincerity falls out the window when we know what's right and then we don't do it. And all three of these guys, once they're presented with uh, the truth of what's right, we see in each case they all act upon it immediately and they're able to maintain their sincerity. So let's read about this guy here in Acts chapter 10 that we know as uh, Cornelius. Acts 10 verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So actually just verse 1, Just this is, and really this is, all the information we know about this guy is what's told in these these few verses here in chapter 10. Yeah. Um, centurion, I've often heard it said that, at least maybe in the original meaning of that, is it meant a man who was a commander of a hundred. 
hence the center uh, aspect of that. Maybe that changed over time to where maybe the the numerical number of people that he was leading became a a different number. Um, But here's a man who's in, he's he's got some responsibility, uh, obviously has some ability to be placed in a position of of authority like this, uh, of the Italian cohort, it says. And uh, that's thought to refer to, I think, the kind of the, the infamous the, the legionnaire group who were um, usually uh, thought to be the ones that were entrusted with protecting like the emperor, uh, the Caesar, uh, or other high-ranking Roman officials. If all of that is true, put all those pieces together and, and take of that what you will, but it, it just says that this is a pretty important guy, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, he is in charge of a lot. He's uh, well-respected, I would say, to yeah. be in a position like that. You would He's have not to a low-level pr- private. <laughs> not at all, yeah. no. And, but you've got to think about sometimes people in that sort of position have sort of clawed their way to the top, uh, you know, put people down so that they could rise up. Yeah. Um, and that's the danger in a lot of these, um, you know, people who have gotten these these high levels of, of respect, high high-ranking positions, what did they do to get there? Yeah. Um, and so you might be thinking that after reading verse one, it's like, okay, well, well, well what's wrong with this guy? What's what's he done? Right. But <laughs> verse two, here's what we're told about his character. He is a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people. He prayed continually to God. I mean, come on. I said the stuff about sincerity a few minutes ago. I mean, this is. <laughs> Mr. Sincerity all the way. Uh, I mean, this guy's just got, I mean, there's, there's, he may be a better man than I am, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, barring the fact that at least at this point in time, in verse 2, he's not yet a Christian. Um, but just great in character, you know, the, the the devoutness, I think that speaks to probably different things amongst many of them, just the idea of, of a devotion uh, to God, his fear for God, his respect for the Lord. The fact that it says with all of his household says something about the kind of a leader he was, good good husband, uh, good father. Uh, his generosity is is uh, praised here. The fact that he prays continually to God. Um, this guy's just got it going on. And I think that's, again, this is why God looked at him and saw, there's a great candidate. If we just look at verse 2 by itself and we think about what all that entails, um, there's a lot of people who will say, as long as you're a good person, um, then you've got everything you need. Well, if that was the case, Cornelius, he would have been there. Yep. He was a really good person. Really good. Um, if praying can save you, uh, as I think a lot of people do teach, mm-hmm. uh, he prayed continually. Yep. You know, was that not enough? Uh, I, I think that there was, there was a little bit more to it than that. And so here, I think this verse alone shows us that two major things that people say today, that being a good person or you know, praying a certain way will save you. If that was the case, this man would have been saved yeah. like 10 times over. Or even sometimes even what we sometimes think, that doing, that doing good deeds, uh, that mm, that's true. what saves you. And this guy, he's, he's doing good deeds, giving alms generously to the people. That probably... That might be indicative of the fact that he may have been someone who actually gave, I remember reading once uh, a commentator said that this is probably talking about that he did good to to Jews. Right. He's a Gentile guy, but he's giving to 
to the people, and that's probably talking about the Jewish people. Um, Some versions actually will put the word Jewish in okay. there, sort of like a to clear to clarify, and yeah. that's what my version says. Okay, um, so yeah, he's, he's doing all kinds of good stuff, and that's good. And the Bible, you know, trumpets the importance of doing good works and good deeds, and uh, that, that we need to be people that are characterized by that. But what we're seeing, what we're going to see, is that th- those things by themselves, those are not the basis of, of salvation, uh, because that is the biggest knock against Cornelius, even though the text doesn't say it just outright, he's not a Christian. No. He's not a child of God. He's not um, become obedient to the gospel. Um, I wanted to say this before we get out of the first two verses. We often say, uh, and sometimes maybe even Bibles will have the heading above chapter 10, um, the first Gentile converts. And, and I often say that too, that mm-hmm. Cornelius and his household are. Um, we probably ought to always qualify that, though, um, because we've already seen a Gentile convert back in chapter 8 right. with the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, maybe the difference, though, with the eunuch, or even if you want to talk about even kind of the Samaritans, um, it seems as if maybe those would have been people, especially in the case of the eunuch, who had proselyted to the Jewish faith. You know, there was that mention of, of what was it, Nicholas back in chapter 6, that mm-hmm. he was a proselyte. Uh, so he was a Greek person, Gentile person, but had proselyted to the Jewish faith and then became a Christian. Uh, in Cornelius' case, there's no indication that, that he had ever proselyted to the Jewish faith, uh, that he had been circumcised uh, or anything of that nature. So when we say, you know, first Gentile converts, Cornelius and his family, Maybe we ought to, you know, be more specific and say, you know, the first fully Gentile or, you know, first uncircumcised uh, Gentile convert family. Um, but that's what we're talking about. Well, this is the heart of a, an issue that comes up several times later in the New Testament. Yeah. Do Gentiles need to convert to Judaism before becoming a Christian? Right. And that's going to be a huge thing later on. Right. Um, and I think that this sets the precedent that, well, no, you, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. That's right. That's right. You said something about uh, the you know, prayer in and of itself as not a, a, a means to salvation. However, we are going to see here in the very next verse, or next couple verses, that uh, prayer in this case did help to open up the door yes. for the opportunities that led to salvation. And, 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 I, and, and we want to be clear about that, that uh, God sees and hears the prayers of sincere people. I have no mm-hmm. doubt about that. Uh, actually, let's just read that. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. Uh, verse 4 is what what I was making reference to there is that his prayers and, and also even his good deeds, his alms, had, had come up before God as a memorial. Like God saw that and he was pleased with that. Um, and that's what gives him the opportunity to be able to, uh, to have a, an apostle of Christ come and pay him a house call uh, here before this chapter's over and, and let him hear the gospel uh, straight from one of the apostles of Jesus. Um, 
lots of times I, I've heard preachers um, and, and other Christians say, you know, that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. Mm-hmm. Okay, number one, we need to be very careful about just saying that blanketly because God yeah. hears everything. Right. You know, yeah. uh, even the stuff He doesn't want to hear. God is being all knowing and all seeing and all hearing. Uh, there's not a not an issue of God being unable to hear those things. Um, the passages in the Bible that talk about God not hearing the prayers of sinners, I, I think it's talking about a specific kind of sinner. I don't think it's talking about people who are sincerely questing for the truth, people who are sincerely looking for, for, for what is right and wanting to do what is right. Uh, Cornelius falls into that kind of category, I believe. He's not a sinner in the sense of, you know, just you know, doesn't care about God, doesn't even think about God, but when he finds himself in a jam, oh God, can you please help me? Uh, he's not that kind of person. Yeah. Uh, here's a person who's continually devoted to prayer and these other things. And, uh, and like I said, I, th- I think God, clearly, God, uh, it honored God, and God in turn honored, honored that sincere desire. Yeah, I, I think just the definition of the word here, what does that even mean? Like, are, are we saying that there are things that God just is totally oblivious to and, and doesn't even know exists? You know, he, he knows everybody exists. Yeah. And he hears everything. He sees everything. But um, is that going to accomplish anything? You know, Jesus says that he'll, he'll do anything that we ask if we ask in his name, according mm-hmm. to his will. People who aren't uh, following the Lord, uh, typically they aren't asking according to Jesus' will because they're seeking after themselves. And yeah. It's a selfish thing. You know, a lot of people do use that passage in, in John 9 where um, the man who is born blind, Jesus heals him. In verse 31, he says, We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Now, it's, it's unclear of whether that was an actual, like, is that a, a, an exact true statement? It was coming from this other guy who, you know, wasn't, uh, you know, trained in the law, that sort of thing. Yeah. But um, I, the, the fact remains, he even clears that up and clarifies and, and, and mentions that about God fear, fearing. Uh, and I think that, that makes a huge difference. Yes. Uh, you know, what are we, what's our intentions when we ask God for something? Is it one of those, we're in a tight spot and we've never, you know, followed the Lord at all in our lives. And it's just like, God, if you do this, I'll, I'll, I'll be at church every Sunday. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of thing. Right. You know, that, that's much different than I think what Cornelius was doing. It is. It is. And, um... You know, he gets this. He gets an appearance from uh, an angel uh, when the Bible talks there in verse three about seeing in a vision. Um, I, I don't know if this means he was asleep and saw this, or just in the middle of the middle of the afternoon, and you know, just sees this amazing sight in front of him. Um, either way, it was real. It's not like something he just imagined uh, or was was made up. Um, and one of the things I wanted us to notice here in verse 4 is when Cornelius reacts um, and then he says, what is it, Lord? Um, this does indicate something that's going to come back up a little bit later. And, and that is that, that Cornelius just needs more information that he does not yet have. He needs yeah. information about who the Lord actually is. Because mm. notice right here, he's, he's calling an angel the Lord. 
Um, he may mean that just in a in a general sense of a person in authority, but he also may mean it in the sense that he thinks this is this is God Himself. Mm. Um, but that's going to come back up a little bit later when Peter arrives at his house, and the reaction that Cornelius True. makes there is again another indication that he just doesn't have all the pieces yet, and um, and, and and that's why I, I kind of keep coming back to this idea of 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 being a sincere person. He's got the right intentions and the right motives. He just doesn't have all the information that he needs just yet. Mm. But when truly sincere people get that information, then they're going to act upon it and make whatever changes and adjustments uh, need to be made. Um, so I'm, so I'm, I'm confident that you know if, if you'd ask Cornelius right here in verse four, you know who's the Lord? Well, he would have said, well, it was that whatever that thing was that appeared to me. But if you ask Cornelius by the end of chapter ten, who's the Lord? He would have a very different answer. Yeah, he would know that it's that it's Jesus the Christ. That's who the Lord is. Um, and we need to be here's here's the main takeaway for us is, or one of the main takeaways, we need to be looking for these kinds of people. And and I am convinced that we have lots of people like this in our world. Instead of us just assuming, well, nobody cares about the Bible, nobody's really interested in spiritual things. That's just false. That that is patently false. There are people who maybe are mixed up in in maybe denominational religion, uh, or maybe they're not even involved in any kind of specific organized religion, um, but they are interested in in finding God, um, and they're interested in figuring that stuff out. We need to be have an awareness to be looking for those people and have a sensitivity to uh, those opportunities so that we can, uh, you know, we can be the Peter or we can be the Philip or be the per be the Ananias who's the right person at the right time to to help to fill in some of those blanks that people are looking to get filled in. Yeah, the thing about being a, a sincere seeker of the word is that uh, well those 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 people they're they're seekers so they're looking when they find something. If they decide to reject it, they're no longer sincere. Exactly. And you know, if, if you were sincere before, if you find out that the truth is something different, then are, are you going to stop being sincere or are you going to stop seeking? I mean, you have to do one of the yeah, two. Yeah, it's one or the know? other. And so uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things we have to you know, keep that in mind. You know, I, I think that this too, and, and we've said it before, but it bears repeating, when people were confronted, even in a vision from the Lord, of how to be saved. They were not told in the vision what to do. Right. No, nobody had a, a personal one-on-one -on -one discussion with the Lord where he said, you are now saved. Um, no, it's he connects people with other people yes. who will teach. And so that, that tells us a couple things, I think. One, uh, our conversion experience is something that uh, we need to have logical evidence for mm -hmm. by the from the words that we we see, um, but also that uh, you know when that that's how God operates. I mean, He connects us with the people that that can teach or or the word here in in written form in the Bible. I mm -hmm. mean, we have that. So, like you were saying, let's be that person for somebody. Yes. Let's help connect them to what the Lord says. Yes. And, yeah, someone would maybe say, well, you know, we're at a disadvantage because we don't have 
you know, God, as here in just a few minutes, he's going to give very clear directions to Peter, hey, go to this guy at this place. Or like in the case of Philip in, in Acts 8, you know, God pushing him out in the middle of the desert and telling him, go talk to that guy. Um, that's a cop-out answer on our part when we <laughs> yeah, say that. That's true. Um, the providence of the Lord is very much active in putting people in the right place at the right time. And it's just a matter of, of, of us cooperating with that. Mm-hmm. And, and all too often we're just looking for, you know, we're looking for excuses out. Uh, you know, they wouldn't be interested. Well, I know the, his type or that's uh, eh, going to make things weird. And it's just be so awkward to go, shut up, stop. <laughs> and I'm saying it to myself, yeah. you know, yeah. come on. Um, let's let, let's be used by the Lord, and that's what uh, that's what Acts really provokes me to do in a in a big way. Act, be ready to act for for Him. When Jesus was in the middle of a Samaritan village, He was teaching them. Yeah, and you you think of what He told His disciples about that. It was like, look, the fields are white with harvest. You just need to open your eyes. You yeah. need to look. It's not that you know there are not opportunities, or or you know that. And I just I can't find anybody to teach. Open your eyes. Yeah. You know, it's everywhere. Yes, and let's stop right there before you start teaching us about John. Uh, <laughs> My I bad. Know, I, I, got, <laughs> I know you're help. tempted to. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's given he's given instructions to uh, to summon for uh, for Simon Peter, uh, who we had been told at the end of the, the previous chapter that uh, Peter was in Joppa with this uh, man Simon the Tanner. Verse seven: When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. I am impressed with just. The immediacy of Cornelius's action here to be obedient to the heavenly vision. Now, Paul's the one who uses that language a little bit later on about himself, but it applies here too. He was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He did what was told, and I, I, th- this speaks again as well to, to what we talked about at the beginning about the reputation of Cornelius, because he brings gets two of his servants and this other devout soldier relays all this to them, and they do what he says. And that says to me that Cornelius was held in high esteem amongst others. Um, and that will be especially evident here in a few minutes when Peter arrives at his house. And what does he see? He sees a whole house full of people. Yeah. Uh, this guy has, even though, again, he's, he's, he's not yet a Christian, he's already got all these good things built into his life that are going to be tremendous assets once he is a Christian. You know, And one of them is... His great influence and using that influence for the benefit of others and using it for the good of the kingdom. Yeah, amen. Sometimes I think that that if we see ourselves as being someone in, in a high position, or you know, people are looking up to me, or for whatever reason, uh, you know, by your job or whatever. Um, sometimes people are like, I don't know if I could use that as like a spiritual platform because yeah. you know that that's kind of cheating, and you know I, I don't know how people are going to take that and look at it. Well, I think there's a lot of ways we can use it, and yes. you know whatever position we're in, how did you get that position? You know why are you in that position? I think God has has a purpose for where we are and and why we have those connections. Yes, use it. Um, I, I think that's one of the reasons that maybe the Lord saw that. This is a great first candidate. This guy's in a great position to be able to kind of help the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles 
in a fast, rapid-fire kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to see that the, it's not just that, but th these are people who also are, are, are eager themselves. They want this. They're hungry for uh, what's being offered to them. Uh, and so these guys are now going to be sent on their way uh, to Joppa, which from Caesarea is, I think, about 30 miles. So this is not just like a you know a quick afternoon trip. This is going to be you know, probably a couple days' journey in order to, uh, to get there. Um, verse 9, the next day... As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Um, and we didn't actually say what these times mean. Uh, Cornelius saw his vision at the ninth hour, so that's about three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Peter sees is going to see this vision at the sixth hour, so we're talking right at right at noontime. And that's the Jewish time. It's Jewish that time. Said six a.m. in the morning was was like the the beginning of yes. their day. And so Peter going up to the housetop to pray, uh, this may be, you know, some, somebody may say, well, this is just, he's just doing what was the Jewish custom. I'll tell you what I like to think. I like to think he's just, he's mimicking Jesus. Hmm. You know, Jesus went to those high mountaintops to pray. Yeah. Well, Peter didn't have a mountain, so I'll go climb to the top of the house, and that's where I'll do the praying. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, that, that, and that's me just totally making that up, but um, <laughs> that's what I'd like to think. Verse 10 and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So this story's got, we've got, got the vision that Cornelius saw a little bit earlier. Now we've got this trance that Peter saw. And again, if, if somebody wants me to try to explain and differentiate the difference between a vision and a trance, <laughs> I'm, I'm not in a position to do that. I don't know if you are. I'm out. Nope. Or a dream. There's uh, just all kinds of different words that the Bible uses. And it, it, again, the point is, it's from God. Uh, he's articulating His will uh, through, these, through these different means to, to His people. And what Peter saw uh, would have been quite fascinating to see. Uh, I've of course seen illustrations of this like in children's books and <laughs> me and Hattie were, were working through a little Bible storybook um, each evening and uh, we got to the chapter on, on, on Cornelius and it's got a picture in there of I mean all these bubbly looking you know <laughs> animals and uh, alligators and so forth you know sticking out of this uh, big cloth uh, they probably weren't didn't look as friendly as they do in the kids storybook but um, <laughs> But it would have, I mean, this is an attention-grabbing thing. And the fact that it did not just happen one time, the fact yeah. that it happened multiple times would have been an indication, certainly to Peter, that you know he didn't just dream this up on his own. He didn't hallucinate this in some way. Uh, this is clearly God trying to send him a message. Um, the kinds of animals that are in there, Peter kind of spells it out for us, especially if, if we're not well acquainted with some of the Old Testament things about what kinds of animals and what kinds of foods were clean and unclean when Peter just flat out says in verse 14, no, these things are, are considered common, unclean. I'm not supposed to have anything to do. You know, there's a pig in that blanket, Lord. I can't, can't have anything to do with that. Um, 
the idea here is that God is, is conveying the message here that in many ways these, these various animals kind of represent uh, Gentiles, other people, other than just the Jewish people. Um, and, and maybe the use of different kinds of animals would, would kind of signal um, all different types of Gentile people. Because we say Gentile in a broad sense, but you know, that would mean all different kinds of nationalities of, <laughs> of, of, of people fitting into that group. Um, but the message is, is, is kind of evident as you work along in those verses, uh, and that is, hey, we're not keeping those people at arm's length anymore. Um, there's an opportunity, and I'm creating the opportunity now. We're going to go to those people. We're not going to consider them, you know, unclean in the way that a Jew might consider these uh, animals and these foods as being unclean. And I think we can come to that conclusion because we know that's the conclusion Peter came to later on when he's like, "Oh, okay, so I get it now." Yeah. Like because God didn't spell it out for him. Right. I mean, he he showed him this vision, and and I mean. A lot of times, God does not make Himself completely evident, especially like how Jesus taught. He taught in parables. Yes. A lot of times, it wasn't you know completely clear. You have to put some thought and effort into it. Um, and so Peter, even though God was showing him a vision, he had to think about it. Yes. And he had to uh, you know just put internalize it and make sense of it. Um, I think it's interesting how it mentions that God showed him this vision three times. Um, seems like Peter needs a lot of things to happen three times. You know, he denied <laughs> Jesus three times. He had to be told three times by Jesus to feed my sheep, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, he has this here. I, I think this is just showing, okay, this is, this is legit. This is true. Do not overlook this. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to your point about this is God, one of the ways of God conveying that he wants Peter to think about it and put some pieces together himself. And that is absolutely so for if it's so for us today too, mm-hmm. God gives us our brains and He wants us to use them. Yeah. Um, I actually so all right, since you brought John into your comments, I'm going to bring my Mark study into the <laughs> comments that uh, just recently had. You know, when when the when Jesus initially told the parable of of the sower, mm. tells the story, and evidently a lot of people went home after that and didn't think too much else of it. But there were some who came back and they went with the disciples and they asked, what's this about? Yeah. You know, this has to be about more than just a farming story. Help us to understand. And um, Jesus, of course, then gives the explanation. Uh, but he says some things even before that about, you know, don't you understand this parable? If you don't understand this parable, you're not going to be able to understand any of the other parables. And I think that's an indication that, you know, Jesus is not in favor of just soft cotton candy teaching and preaching. Uh, he just he wanted people to exercise uh, the mind that they get. You know, Christianity is intellectually based. You know, when we talk about the heart, and most of the time when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about right here in our chest. It's talking about up here in our head. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yes, there is there is an emotional component. I don't want to strip strip that out entirely. That there is we have feelings for God and, and for His Word. Uh, but He does want us to, to 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 use our mind and to to challenge us and to never be satisfied with just kind of surface level understanding. He wants us to 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 put things together. And it, I, I, mean, I can say this from my own life. You know, as I study the Bible and things become clear, there is such a, a sense of, of, of joy 
it makes studying the Bible more just more fun. Yeah. You know, when you're able, it's like yeah. a kid when you know instead of you just showing the kid how to do it, you instead give them some ideas and you leave that to them. You know, it's a puzzle or whatever it is that they're dealing with. There's that sense of accomplishment uh, and there's an eagerness to, all right, I did that. Now what else can I do? What's the next level that I can take this up to? And, um, and this, is, I, this I'm glad you made that point because I think this is another great place in the Bible uh, where that point is being, being illustrated, even here, to an apostle. <laughs> Again, we think this would be one of the guys that would have, you know, I mean, just about, I mean, he's level 10 on the knowledge level, you'd like to think at this point. No, there's more levels he can go. And God wanted to help get him there. An apostle filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. That, you know, and we think, man, that would be such a disadvantage. He, he knows everything now. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't seem like God spelled everything out for him all the time. He's still learning. Exactly. Yeah. And so how much more should we do? You know, I've heard some phrases that, that people will mention like, if you can't teach the Bible at a level a fourth grader would understand, then you're making it too complicated. And it's like, where do you get that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people who didn't understand a lot of what Jesus said. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and think about how Paul says, and even the Hebrew writer says, uh, you know, the there's there's milk, and then there's something that's a little bit tougher. Yes. Um, and you've got to yeah. work up to that. And a good teacher is going to try to be aware of their their audience and I know when I'm preaching, you know, yeah, I've got uh, mature Christians that are kind of up here in the audience, but I've also got, there's going to be kids in the audience, and they're maybe a little bit down here, new converts, people that are maybe just visiting out of the world. And, all right, so I want to try to give some stuff to them. You want to try to hit all those bases, but regardless of what level you're at, the expectation of the Lord is we're going we're gonna to level up, yeah. uh, and we're going to use our minds, and we're going to use the book that He gave us that is understandable uh, in order to accomplish that. Um, maybe one of the other things that's being indicated here with this vision that Peter sees um, these three times is that uh, that the old law, the law of Moses, that it is being made obsolete. I mean, technically, it, it, it already was. You know, we talk about it nailed to the cross. Mm -hmm. um, but, but this is kind of making it even more clear to, to someone like Peter that it's we're ready to shift past that fully. We talked about in a previous chapter how um, it seems like the early Christians, they still were very very much continuing in a lot of the Jewish practices. Uh, but that's being kind of phased out, slowly but surely. And this is kind of another one of those mile marker moments uh, where the Lord's making that clear that this is becoming an obsolete system of, of, of religion uh, once again. That's um, certainly not to say that if a person has a personal conviction about you know, not eating certain kinds of meats or whatever, that they can't have that. You can, but as far as God's concerned, mm, God's making it clear that's just kind of that's not important. Right, yeah, and I think that he, he's making it abundantly clear there. there there's even a, a place where Jesus says, uh, you know, he, he mentions, it's, it's sort of like an offhanded comment uh, about it's not what enters the person that defiles them, but yeah. what, the, what comes out of the heart. Yeah. And then there was like a little parenthetical statement that was like, uh, thus he declared all things clean. But like it just went over everybody's heads there. Right. So this is just to show that Jesus' teaching was along those lines too, even yeah. though the people didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, and, so, and Peter probably was one of the people at that time didn't get it. But now, right here, it's kind of, one of those aha moments. Ah, okay, yeah, okay. Now yeah. I, I, I start to, I can see that now. Um, 
there, there is kind of initially, you know, verse 14, the knee-jerk reaction of Peter is this, this is offensive, the thought of yeah. partaking of that and being involved in that. Um, but again, it just shows how the Lord deals with people um, and knows where they are. And all right, Peter just needs a little bit more. And Peter was kind of always that way anyway. You know, yeah. kind of needs those continual uh, nudges and pushes to where things finally start to click. Um, so there, there's a couple of connections I want to make here do it. because this, this is just interesting to me. So one, a connection from, from Peter to Cornelius. Uh, well, one thing, before he's able to go and, and help Cornelius become converted, he has to be converted um, in his thinking. Um, both of them were, were approached by the Lord in a vision when they were praying. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks highly of both of them, yep. um, that they were in prayer. You know, if God were to appear to us in a vision today while we were praying, I wonder if he would have enough time. You know, I wonder if he could catch us praying, you know? Yeah. Uh, but Slip that in in that 15 seconds that he took to pray today. Exactly. Uh, and so you know, we communicate with the Lord in our prayer. And maybe we don't get these visions and, and things like that anymore. But um, there's a sense in which we connect with the Lord in a major way when we pray. And mm-hmm. I, I think we need to take advantage of that more often. Um, it's something that, that we need to consider. Um, Something else I wanted to mention is uh, there are a ton of similarities between what's going on here and actually the story of Jonah. Because you think of where Jonah went to get on the ship. You remember what city that was? <laughs> it was he was supposed to go to Nineveh to the Gentiles yeah. to teach them. Uh, he wanted to run away. He, he didn't accept it at first. Peter has some trouble accepting this at first. Right. Uh, he went to a city called Joppa, by the way, um, to get on that ship. So we have that connection. Um, Peter has three, this is repeated three times for him. Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish. Um, finally, they accept their, their call. Uh, but you know, when they go and teach the Gentiles, the Gentiles respond. Um, but there is at least a group or maybe one Israelite that doesn't take well to it. In Jonah's story, it was Jonah. Mm-hmm. In this one, we're going to see in chapter 11, some Jews didn't like it. Uh, but also, just one more. <laughs> Do you remember what uh, Simon Peter's father's name was? In Matthew 16, verse 17. Bar Jonah. Bar Jonah, son of Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> His dad's name is Jonah. That's just weird. Yeah. Interesting connection. Yeah, and I've not made those connections before, and so um, thank you for causing my mind to kind of start <laughs> spin a little bit. Uh, and we may get to heaven and we may find out that the Lord says, huh, I never thought of that either. It's totally coincidence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is true. Thankfully, in this case, yeah. Peter does not run away. There is the yeah, kind of, the, the, he, he's kind of resisting a little bit, but he doesn't do the, the foolish Jonah thing by, you know, trying to, to completely run away. So uh, maybe, no, no, Simon, Peter here is, is like a complete, what Jonah should have been yeah, when he yeah. came in contact with that. Yeah. So verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. This is kind of, again, here's kind of the providence of the Lord. While Peter's trying to like figure all this out, lo and behold, Gentile people are there knocking at the door, verse 18. And they call out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, 
for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. Uh, let's just stop right there. It's in the middle of a verse, but that's where the paragraph break is um, right. here in the, the, the ESV. Um, there in verse 22 when it says about that he's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, that again probably adds more credence to what we said earlier about he, his alms were uh, for, for, for the Jewish people. And um, again, just speaks to the extent of Cornelius' good reputation that it wasn't just amongst his you know, fellow soldiers and fellow Gentile people. He's just a guy that was just thought well of just in general in his community and by the people who, um, who, who knew him. Um, and I, I don't know, at least in the introduction here, wh whether Peter necessarily made the connection that this, you know, he's a Gentile and all these are Gentile people, probably by being told that Cornelius was a centurion, maybe that would have been kind of the giveaway. Um, they obviously have more conversation by the fact that he invites him in to uh, to be guests, and so uh, there probably was more discussion about who they were and uh, what all this was. Um, but I would assume then that it's somewhere in kind of this these hours, the remainder of that day, that things click with Peter, and, and, and it's when the pieces finally fall into place for him, and uh, he comes to understand, uh, especially since the next statement in the end of verse 23 is going to say that he, he gets up and goes. And now, yeah. I mean, he, he does that, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, because the Spirit of the Lord told him to do that. I think even if Peter didn't understand entirely, I'd like to think he's going to do it regardless. Right, right. Uh, which is a good lesson in and of itself, that if the Lord tells us to do something, if there's a command in Scripture... Baptism is a good example of that. Hmm. Even if I don't understand all the nuances of that, or every, you know, all the reasons why, uh, in, in every facet of that, I need to have the heart that says, "Well, I'm going to do it anyway," because God said to do it. Yeah. You know? And yeah, it, it, hopefully, in the process of time, I can come to understand that better um, through study and just through just time. Um, but we need to have the heart that just says, "I'm just going to do it anyway." Um, whether it's about baptism or, or anything else, and um, Peter's going to do it. And Peter had that attitude anyway. I think about when you know, Jesus told him to, to put out the nets. You know, well, Lord, we've been fishing all night long and ain't caught nothing, but nevertheless, it's your word. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't understand, but I'm going to do it anyway. How many times did God tell his people to do something that just made no sense whatsoever? Walls I mean, of Jericho. Yeah, <laughs> but walk around the city a few yeah. times. Uh, or, you know, even even times where he's telling them to do something that would, would seem very offensive to them, like Peter yeah. feels here. You know, Abraham, kill your son. Yeah. Uh, or, hey, Hosea, go marry a prostitute. <laughs> or Ezekiel, hey, go bake some bread on this human dung. Yep. It's like, whoa, Isaiah, walk around three years uh, like in your underwear. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> like, why would I do that? It's like, well, that's what God said to do. And yep. so, you know, that that's what we do. Unrelated, the people who, if you've seen Ezekiel bread at the store, <laughs> yeah. there are places that <laughs> yeah. sell quote-unquote Ezekiel bread. <laughs> Go back to Ezekiel and read about the Ezekiel bread and then think yeah. about whether or not you want to be eating that Just stuff. Read the whole yeah. chapter 5, man. That's, <laughs> yeah. <ooh. laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and and like I said, even if there was still some unclarity on Peter's part, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with these guys. Uh, that's what the 
the Spirit of the Lord said. I'm not going not gonna to question that. Um, if, if He's telling me to go and to do that, I like what the Spirit said in verse 20, without hesitation. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's how the numeric standard. Without misgivings. It. All right. So we're doubting nothing. Yeah. So we're 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 not going to you know going to ask questions about this. We're not going to try to have some kind of a uh, barter with the Lord about this. It's and that kind of is a good comparison with the Jonah thing. Jonah is just you know almost wanting to kind of argue with God, especially in the latter part of of the book. Uh, there's going to be none of that. We're just going to do it. Um, yeah. And again, here how how the Spirit operates, even with a, an apostle. He was reflecting on the vision, verse 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was, he was still trying to figure it out and trying to put the pieces together. Uh, you know, how often do we just like, okay, I want, I want to go to a Bible study or, or watch one on, on the Internet, and I just want to take what they give me mm-hmm. and just, okay, I'm good now. No, we have to reflect. Even when we, when we hear somebody breaking down the message, we can't just leave it at that. We, we need to, to spend some time and digest it and, and put it into play in our lives. Yeah. Well, uh, the last thing I wanted to say about uh, this section before we go on, and you have anything else you want to chime in for this paragraph, but at the end of verse 23 when it says that Peter invited them in to be his guest, mm-hmm. um, this is a great... We may kind of just go right past that, but here's a great place to show where some of these dividing walls between the Jews and the Gentiles are are being torn down. This may have been the kind of thing that Peter normally would have never done prior to this moment. You're going to invite Gentile people in to be your guest. The indication was, says the next day that they rose, so you're not just invited them in for you know tea and crumpets. I mean, they're staying the night. It looks like, yeah. uh, which again maybe would not have normally normally happened. But that's some of that stuff's being torn down. Ephesians chapter two talks about the you know how Jesus tore that dividing wall down, and and through Christ now some of those things are starting to take place. Um, and Peter's getting it. Um, Peter's being used as he's he's the guinea pig, going to be the one to kind of. To, to demonstrate to the rest of the Jews that this is possible. Um, mm. Yeah, I, and I'll, I'll say this, and I hesitated about bringing it up, but, you know, Peter, later on, Paul is going to have to confront him yes. because of how he's mistreating the Gentiles. Yeah. Uh, and so even though he gets it now, and he does what's right right now, yeah. um, this is such a, a hot topic, such a deep-seated issue, that he has problems with it later, uh, even, and so um, you know sometimes we we do struggle with things, mm-hmm. um, you know that that maybe at one time we're we're doing okay with, and then we we fall back into something. Yeah, um, I think that this just shows, uh, you know, once we find the truth and we find what we need to do, do it, you know, stick with it, do what we can. Peter is just so, he's such a. I'm so glad the Bible talks about Peter the way that it does. He, he, he's so human, yeah. uh, and yeah. and it's a good illustration. All right, so so that in that instance from the Galatians passage when uh, you know he's acting hypocritical. Um, well, what was the problem? Well, the problem was he got around a bunch of other Jewish people who yeah. were still very strong in their their, their Judaism. And kind of got pulled that way, and that happens. Does you, you get around? If, if mm-hmm. I if I go back and was to hang around some of my b- buddies from you know w- when I was in school, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the the inclination, the temptation might be to to do and to say things that that I should not do as a Christian. Um, however, in this instance, 
when you are, in Peter's case, the Holy Spirit's just got done telling him something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and these guys are right there at his door. All right, so there's an urgency to do the right thing. And that happens to us as well. All right, I just got done reading my Bible about whatever the subject may be. All right, well, I, I've got kind of an urgency to, to do that, to do the right thing right now. Um, but, of course, put a little bit of space and time between me and my Bible reading, I might not be so gung-ho and excited to do that. Yeah. And that's just, the way, that's just the way that it is. That's the way we are as people. I'm not saying that that makes it right, but that's just, that's just how we sometimes are. Uh, and the challenge is to, you know, to be filled with the Spirit in such a way that uh, I'm, more often than not, my inclination is going to be to do the right thing and not be easily persuaded in the other direction. Um, verse 23 continues on. The next day, Peter rose and he went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. I just, I love that. So we've had, you know, two or three days now that have passed. And in that intervening time, Cornelius has not, you know, just, uh, just been sitting around just kind of, you know, waiting and watching the clock. No, like, he's already been told, go get this Simon guy who's called Peter, um, I'm not entirely sure whether Cornelius knew that that was an apostle. Right. Maybe he gathered some information in these couple days and found out, oh, we got an apostle coming. <laughs> okay. Um, True. But he's up and he's busy. I mean, he's he's invited all of these people to come to come over and to hear. He's got people in his sphere that he cares about, and he wants these people to, you know, get a crack at the same information that he's going to get a crack at, and. Uh, you just, I just, you just love that. I mean, here's a guy. He's not even a Christian yet, and he's doing evangelism better than a lot of us that have been Christians for years. Yeah, and think about how inconvenient that would have been for his friends and relatives and, yeah. and all that. It's not like his, his, uh, you know, people who had went to to fetch Peter could just text him and be like, "Hey, we're about twenty minutes out. If you want to get some people right. together, you know, it, it's hard." Like logistically speaking, to work that out to get them there. I mean, he probably had some kind of estimate, but right. they were probably waiting a little while. Yeah, um, yeah. So that I think that helps show his influence and also shows, uh, you know, just just the patience and you know how much these other people um, thought about you know. Well, if he is this excited about something, maybe we should listen to. Yeah, him. yeah. And hopefully, you know, I I, I like I always. I've tried to just picture this in my mind is like Cornelius is just he's eagerly anticipating and if he's conveyed that in any way to these relatives and friends then maybe in some way they're kind of eagerly anticipating as well and just like man when can these people get here I'm, I want to know about this I want to yeah. know about this stuff an angel of God came and talked to Cornelius I mean come on <laughs> That's a big this deal. is the real deal um, verse 25 when Peter entered Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. So here's the thing I mentioned a little bit earlier. Hmm. Um, Cornelius doesn't have it all figured out. Um, and his just knee-jerk reaction is to fall down and worship this guy. I mean, again, yeah. he is a, a, a man that was chosen by God, chosen by Jesus to be an apostle. He is serving in a very special capacity. Peter is endowed with you know spiritual gifts to do things. Um, but at the end of the day, he is he's still just a man. And that's actually what Peter says, verse 26, but Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. 
And I wonder how often Peter had to do that very same thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. after performing a, a miracle, maybe to people that had not even really... I mean, that's all they saw was they saw the miracle and they hadn't really even yet heard the teaching yet uh, that, that, that he had to do that same thing. Hey, no, 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 hey, get, get up, get up, get up. No, not doing that. Um, or any of the other kinds of things that people do and people still do to this day where they lavish and heap praise upon, you know, alleged miracle workers and, and even sometimes the kind of things that people even just do for preachers today, you know, kind of mm-hmm. giving undue um, credit uh, when we're just, we're just a vessel. Just a, a tool being used by the Lord to, to do something here. And how much do we seek that sort of praise? Yeah. I think that's huge. The temptation may have been strong for Peter to to just kind of, yeah, thanks. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good, wasn't it? It was, yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I just as a, again, as a human, I tend to think that there would have been that temptation that would have had to have been fought uh, pretty regularly. Um yeah. But yeah, Peter lifts him up, says, I'm, I'm just a man. Um, verse 27, And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me. So um, so here's where Peter just spells out that uh, I get it now. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, the, the, weird, the weird vision that I got, uh, I, I know what it means. Um, and so I'm here, uh, and now you explain to me why I'm here. It's, it seems that, you know, the, the, angel, when the angel spoke to Peter, or when the Spirit spoke to Peter, he didn't clue him in on everything about, about this guy. Uh, yeah. And maybe even the friends, uh, the, the servants that had come, uh, the soldier that had came and talked to Peter at Joppa, they maybe hadn't even fully clued it in. It's possible maybe they did, and now Peter just kind of wants to hear them explain it. You know, you tell me why you think that I'm here today. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what's going yeah. on here. I don't know. Could be. Um, yeah, that, that statement about the, how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew yeah. to associate, you know, um, when, when you look at that, I don't, I don't see that as being, there was not a law of Moses from God that said, do not associate with any foreigner. Yes. Actually, a lot of the laws were kind of opposite. It, it's, it talked about welcoming the foreigners and making sure to, to provide for them, take care of them, you know, make provisions for them. Um, and so I think that that's, that's huge because um, this had become such a cultural stigma. Um, and there was so much prejudice and racism that went along with this, that it was so ingrained in the Jewish brain yep. that it had become like a law. Yep. Uh, and and they were just so totally against that. And it's I the think, same with yeah. you know so many of the other things that Jesus ended up having to butt heads with the Pharisees about the way that they had made things about the Sabbath had become law that. The, the the law had never said anything about yeah. you know all these specific things or things pertaining to fasting. Uh, there were so many of those things that you know, and here's even Peter you know saying it's unlawful, not according to God's law, yeah. but according yeah, to yeah. what had become you know tradition and the the oral law of the of the rabbis. Um, and there's probably there's a message in there for us about how you know just things that we get so accustomed to that are our tradition uh, 
that number one, they may not even be good traditions. And I think this is one of those that I would be quick to say, no, that, that wasn't even a good tradition in the first place. No, not at all. <laughs> you know, because it, it ran up against some of those other laws that you referenced about, you know, having care for the for, for the stranger or the pilgrim. Um, and But even if it is a tradition that maybe, you know, well, served a purpose for a time, it, it maybe is still worth re-examining uh, and considering, you know, have, have we turned this into something, you know, think about something kind of silly like our order of our worship. Uh, so like here at Lakeside, two songs, a prayer, another song, then the sermon, then an invitation song, and any kind of deviation from that. Oh, what are we doing? We've gone liberal here. We're turning to what? What is going on here? This den of iniquity. Uh, but we can get that way, you know, just some little something that's uh, you know outside of our. Our, our norm, and we can convince ourselves, we can feel guilty. We can end up feeling guilty over something that we shouldn't even feel guilt about. And this is one of those things that Peter should not have felt guilt about, that he had done, that, you know, he was violating something, or you know, when, when he invited those people in under his roof, or now he's in under, under Cornelius' roof. Um, there never should have been any, any reluctance about that in the first place. Yeah, and I, I want to make a comment about... Um just how sometimes if things happen that that shake up your your very idea of what worship is um you know maybe uh, the people listening maybe you know of some things that have happened uh in the past uh a few weeks or so that has completely changed the way that we view worship in general mm -hmm. um and and how we are able to to do that um, sometimes that's a blessing, so we can sit back and, and really analyze what are we doing, why are we doing it, uh, are, are there different ways we can do something and still be acceptable to God? Um, am I worshiping God on my own, um, or do I rely on someone else to worship for me, and yep. I, as long as I'm in there, in that group, then I'm okay? No, I think that there's there's this personal aspect that we have to take advantage of every opportunity that we have, um, and make sure that we are doing things the way that the Lord wants it to be done. Yeah, I I preach from the bed of a pickup truck, <laughs> in in recent weeks and months, and uh, preach with a cat walking underneath my my, my feet, and so I'm I'm very much learning, but. I, I don't need to be married to the traditional standing behind the, the the pulpit inside of a you know nicely air conditioned building in order for, for for me to be pleasing God and doing doing what He wants and um, yeah reexamining uh, tradition is is th that's always going to be a helpful and healthy thing to do and. Um, Peter here was maybe kind of forced to, 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 to re-examine that uh, a little bit. It is possible, even when he says this in verse um, uh, verse uh, 28 about how unlawful it is for me to associate, mm -hmm. it may actually, it, it might possibly be an indication that um, he still is not fully uh, past that way of thinking. Yeah. Especially True. since we know later on in Galatians, he is going to have that episode where, again, he's, he's not treating not treating Gentile Christians the the way that he entirely should have. Um, but he asks, "Hey, give me an explanation of, of why I'm here." You guys tell me. So, verse thirty. 
And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So just recounts all of the events. Then verse 33, which is one of my favorite non-apostolic spoken expressions in the whole New Testament, you know, of a quotation that's not from Jesus or not from one of the apostles, this this might be near the very top of the list. It's jam-packed, the, the, the things that are made in this statement, verse 33. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I love everything about that statement. Hmm. I, it's just so rich with humility. Um, it's rich with an eagerness. Uh, it, it again speaks to you know the, the, the fervor that he had to tell others that we're all here. Um, we're here to hear the things that, that, that we've been told and we believe that God has spoken to you and that you are serving as, as an agent of God right now to deliver those things to us. Uh, and we want it, you know. Give us what you got, Apostle. You know, <laughs> tell us, tell us what it is that that that, that we need to hear, um, so that we can uh, know the blessings of of salvation and, and and everything that God wants us to know. Um, I just, it's just, just it's just a wonderful a wonderful statement. It is. You know, we we don't know exactly what he had been praying for. Uh, like we know that he did pray, and and all of that. Um, but it, it seems like, it, you know, looking at verse 33, he wanted to know more about the Lord. He mm -hmm. wanted to know how to be pleasing to Him. Yeah. I, I think that that's it. I, I think, you know, if, if anybody was looking for salvation and looking for that relationship, it was Him because He's ready to hear it. Yeah. He's like, I want to hear, and He doesn't just say, I want to hear the very minimum I need to do. I want to hear everything. All that you've been commanded by the Lord. Yeah. yeah. You know, how much more should we want that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we just want to study enough to help us get by. Yeah. Or how, how, can I, how can I make sure that I'm not going to unintentionally sin to, you know, condemn myself to hell? But that's, that's it, you know, bare minimum. Right. You know, it's, no, it's, it's I want everything that you have, you know, laid on me. The, this is fertile soil. I mean, this oh, yeah. is, if we're talking about, I mentioned the parable of soil, soils earlier, sower, um, this is the good ground. This is good and honest ground. Uh, this is, I mean, this is the kind of people that, uh, I know especially as a preacher, I mean, I'm just looking for those kinds of people. When I'm, If I'm up in the pulpit, I'm looking around the audience, I'm looking for, I, I just imagine in my mind Cornelius sitting in the audience just wide-eyed, just uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> you know, nodding along yeah, and just... Yeah. You know where you can see that 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 it's 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 working, uh, and that he's he's connecting the dots. Um, that's the kind of person that this is. And um, if if Peter did not recognize the enormity of the purpose for why he was there that day, I think verse thirty three would have made it abundantly clear. Okay, now I know why I'm here. Yeah. And so let me tell you, verse thirty four. So Peter opened his mouth, and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Uh, it's just pause right there. 
for a second. Um, the statement about God shows no partiality, that's exactly true. Uh, this is one of those places I would, I would point to, you know, for... And, and there are... I do think that there are people who at least profess Christ who still have... Um, I mean, let's just call it what it is, that there are still racist and prejudicial thoughts uh, that are harbored by people today, and some of those people, I'm, I fear, are, are Christians. Um, this is one of the places I'm going to go to. God's, God's not interested in any of that. He's not worried about that, about where people come from, about the color of their skin, or any of those sorts of things. Uh, what God is interested in is... is what's on the inside. He's interested in the content of their character, as the you know, famous Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> yeah. quote goes. Uh, people who fear him and want to do what's right and what, what pleases him. Uh, that's what God's looking for. I think about what was said, uh, what God said to uh, to Samuel when, when he told him to go and to anoint David. You know, don't, don't pay attention to what he looks like on the outside because he's not going to be all that impressive, you know, externally, at least compared to Saul. Saul looked the part on the outside, but uh, it's the heart that, that I'm looking at. And, um, and that's, what, that's what the Lord, that, that's, that's his measuring stick. And I want to make a comment about this compared to verse 28. Now, remember the, how the Jews viewed the, the Gentiles. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were laws about not intermarrying um, with other nations. Now, every time that's that's mentioned in the Old Testament, it it's, he quickly mentions because you will be led to worship their gods. Yeah, godlessness. And, exactly, and you'll be led away because of that. It was never, uh, no, you just can't associate with another nation right. because you can't mix races. And right. like that was that was not it at all. Uh, I think it, it's clear in this passage that's that's never what God intended. Right. You know, it, it was more of you need to stay spiritually strong, so guard yourself. Do we need to be cautious who we marry because of spiritual reasons? Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, but God shows no partiality as far as those you know cultural racial divides that sort of thing. That's right. Um, something that's impressive to me here, uh, how verse thirty four says, opening his mouth. Well, obviously, if he talks, he's going to open his mouth. But it's like, I think that that's supposed to draw our attention to, okay, he's actually going to do this. Yeah. You know, he's not, you know, we, we think about Jesus says, you either are going to confess me or you're going to deny me. To confess, it takes opening your mouth. To deny, you don't even have to open your mouth. You could just keep your mouth closed. Yeah. And that's a denial in a way too. And so Peter, he, he's like, okay, I'm going to take action because here it is. Here are these people that want to listen. So he opens his mouth. Same phrase was used in Acts 8 about Philip in verse 35. Mm -hmm. Philip opened his mouth and began to preach Jesus, which I think is another connection of why that was probably a Gentile, or at least before, you know, proselytized. Um, It also even mirrors back to Acts chapter 2, you know, because we're kind of, Peter has, there's some interaction between him and the the audience that was gathered there, but then there's kind of that sharp moment in verse 14 where it says, but then Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, or opened his mouth, or however it's rendered, and then he speaks to them, all right, now, now let me tell you. (laughs) Exactly. Um, 
as opposed to like Ezekiel after God gave him the the commission in chapter 2 and 3 of you need to go and you need to teach these people they're not going to listen but you need to teach anyway he sat for 7 days and he didn't get up and didn't say anything God punished him for that it yeah. was like now listen now you're not going to be able to talk until I give you a message and that's the only time your mouth's going to be open um I think that this is, is really cool that, that Peter was like, okay, okay, here it is. I see the opportunity. I know what I need to do, and I'm going to do it right now. This is um, when Peter says um, that in every nation, anyone who fears him, uh, that, that's the kind of people that God is, is ready to accept. Um, yeah. this, is the, this is the fulfillment of, you know, with going back to like the, the Joel prophecy that was, that was preached in, in, in the Acts 2 sermon, uh, that had come to pass that, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. I mean, anyone who, who wants the opportunity uh, to be a part of, of this kingdom and this family, uh, that, that is available. And um, so let's just let's, let's read the remainder of what Peter says here. Verse 36, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. And we are witnesses of all that He did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put Him to death by hanging Him on a tree. But God raised Him on the third day and made Him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, um, there probably is, is more to this sermon, I, I tend to think, than just what's recorded in those few verses. Um, but that is a good kind of summary of, of what gospel preaching entailed and it's really what we've seen already uh, in Acts 2. It's the same thing we saw in, in Acts 3 and uh, in Acts 8 and all these other places when the gospel's preached. Um, we're going to end up getting down to just the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, now, are there other things that's going to go along with that? Yes. But that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with that. And that's the core of, of, of everything. Peter does say stuff about, you know, about the life of Jesus, about... You know, there's the uh, mention of the miracles that he did, uh, the purpose of, of, of that. Um, he makes the point at least a couple different times here about the fact that uh, he and the, these other men w were witnesses of those things. Uh, again, that's, the, that's kind of the, the crux upon which this preaching kind of either stands or falls, and that is, do we have actual eyewitness testimony of, of these things? And Peter most definitely fits that bill. And... Um, he does give maybe a little something extra that really has not been, at least in, in Acts thus far, really hasn't been said, at least to my memory, in verse 42, uh, when it says that Jesus not only you know, is He the, the crucified Lord and He's the resurrected King, but also God appointed Him to be the judge. You know, so that's even speaking of, of something else that's going to happen down the line. Uh, well, actually, even as of today, has still not yet happened in the sense of Him... Uh, being the, the the final judge, um, but just speaks of a number of different ways of the the, the roles and the 
the authority of Jesus uh, throughout this passage and establishing the Lordship of Christ. And that is, to go back to, to what we said earlier, that's the information that Cornelius needed. You know, he, he, he knew all these other, I mean, He didn't need to give Cornelius a big dissertation on why you need to believe in God. Cornelius already had that. Or yeah. let me talk, let me preach to you about you know, the value of prayer. Cornelius doesn't need that. Yeah. Uh, what Cornelius needs, the piece that's missing, is he needs to know about Jesus. Um, and Peter starts with the fact that it seems to indicate that you know some stuff about this Jesus guy. Uh, you've certainly heard some things, but, but I want you to know what makes him special. And um, those are the things that, that, that really is the emphasis of, of this sermon for that audience because that's what they needed uh, in order for them to get them, get them over the hump. Uh, to become to become Christians. Yeah, and I, mean, I think that this is an important fact to consider today. You know, what what was the the single most important event of all of human history? Well, the the resurrection. I mean, that yeah. was it. Um, and that's what separates Christianity from any other religion, at all. Um, you know, how how do we know that Christianity is is the way and not Buddhism or uh, you know any any other types of faith? Because we have the risen Lord, and yeah. I think that's what separates. And so if, if you're looking for somebody, if, if you're trying to reach out to somebody and teach somebody who is not on board with the, the authority of Christ and, and His power and, and that sort of thing, the resurrection is absolutely the place to start. Yeah. Because if, if we can prove, and I think we can, I do think we have enough evidence to, for proof, if we can prove that Jesus was raised from the dead, everything else falls into place. If he has that kind of power and authority, he has power to leave words for us to read so we know what we need to do. And he has the power and authority to judge us too. And so we have to live according to that. Yeah. That little parenthetical thought, or at least it's in parentheses in the ESV in verse 36, uh, talks about through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Mm, Uh, That to me seems to be what he wants them to understand that he is that he is the Lord and his resurrection uh, declares it to be so. He's the Son of God with power. Romans one verse four says, and um, it's interesting because uh, there are so many facts and pieces of evidence that will will prove the resurrection that actually doesn't even require a person to believe in the miraculous. Mm. Um, there's just so many undeniable just basic things that all are pointing to something and eventually it just comes down to are you going to trust what these number of eyewitness people have said or are you just not Uh, because the evidence is it's it's overwhelming and uh, if, if somebody wants a place to start read 1st Corinthians 15 yeah I mean that that illustrates a lot of the evidences of why we believe in the resurrection. Yep. Um, anything else down through 43 before we look at this last section? That's all I got. Well, that last statement at the end of verse 43 is um, maybe the, the, the thing that, again, if I'm in the audience with Cornelius, that's the thing that would resonate the most with me, and that is about believing in Jesus in order to receive the forgiveness of sins. Well, hey, I, I want that. Uh, that's what yeah. all, anybody who's seeking after the Lord, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for how can we be uh, brought into a right relationship with Him. Verse 44 then, So while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. 
And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So we have here um, the second, I'm going to argue, the second, uh, and actually I'm going to argue the final recorded instance of what is you know, commonly referred to as Holy Spirit baptism uh, or the Holy Spirit falling upon uh, a group of people. Yeah. Um, I think we'll see that kind of hammered home even more in chapter 11 when Peter recounts these events because when he's looking for a, a way to describe to the other Jews as to what happened at Cornelius' house, the only other event that he can think to compare it to is what happened back in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And that is what's happening here. And what is happening here is, uh, it, it's in many ways, it's, it's a fulfillment as well of what Jesus had said to Peter when Peter made the good confession that he was going to give him uh, the keys of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter was the guy who kind of, you know, used the keys, so to speak, to unlock the gospel door to the to the Jews and now here he's using the keys again to unlock the door to open it up to the Gentiles here in chapter 10 and that now covers everybody <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's now Literally. officially officially open to everybody uh, in the way that that is kind of being affirmed and uh, made clear uh, as as having the this is God's approval of this was through this sending of the Holy Spirit in this way, in this special fashion once again. We find out later that, that Paul was considered the, the apostle of the Gentile. Well, actually, we've already read that, we've, yeah. where Jesus was going to send him there, and that's, that was his goal. But he wasn't the one to open the door. Right. Um, and I think that's important because uh, people would have, would have had a respect for Peter, hopefully. Um, and I think he actually he has to work a little bit for that in some of his explanations in the few upcoming chapters. Yeah. But um, he was the one who did that, and being, you know, seeing as one of the, the front front line apostles um, who reach out and do things, this was a big deal yeah. coming from him. Um, and you know, you, you got to think too. How do you tell other people about this? You know, how how's everybody else going to feel about this? I think it was a good thing. Um, we found out in chapter in verse like twenty three or so that uh, some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Chapter eleven, we're going to find out. Uh, do some math. It was about six people who six came. Six guys. Up. Chapter eleven, verse twelve. Yeah, there you go. And so, um, because of that, I think it's it shows that um, all of this is happening for proof, not to the Gentiles necessarily. But I think the Jews were the ones who needed convincing. Yeah. Take Paul's, or Peter's statement 28. I mean, this was a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. This is God's divine stamp of approval. And <laughs> yeah. um, yes, it would, have, it, would have, it would have been helpful for, for Gentiles, but the people that it would have, they would have made a connection to about, oh yeah, following the Holy Spirit in that way, would have been the Jewish people. And they're the ones who, who maybe needed it the most. Um, and especially as we kind of work along in the, the next few chapters, we're going to see that 
they, they were the ones who needed it the most and to be, to be convinced of this. Um, let's talk for just a second about you know, uh, baptism here. Um, because while, yes, there is this quote-unquote Holy Spirit baptism that's taking place, um, Peter still commands baptism to take place. And yeah. he cannot be talking about Holy Spirit baptism. Number one, I'm going to say, because that's not something that Peter or any other man can command. Right. That, that's God's yeah. doing. God does that. Um, but then secondly, um, the Holy Spirit baptism has already occurred. So what's the point of Peter saying, you know, who can with uh, can even withhold water for baptizing these people? He's obviously, in the obviously the mention of water too, it differentiates this as well that we're talking about a, another kind of baptism uh, that needs to take place here. And when we kind of look at that in concert with, with everything else that we've already noticed in the prior seven or eight chapters, um, connect all the way back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, this is baptism for the remission of their sins. Um, yes, the Holy Spirit has come. Some amazing things have happened. Um, but I'm going to contend that Cornelius and his family and whoever else was, was uh, baptized in water that day, they were not actually forgiven of their sins. They had not actually became Christians yet until that immersion in water had taken place uh, because that's what harmonizes with Acts 2.38 and all the other passages that we've, we've studied thus far in Acts. Why else would verse 47 say that? Surely no one can refuse the water for these. Why would anybody refuse the water? Yeah. Maybe because they were thinking, we need to get, get them to become Jews first, proselytize them, and then, you know, sure, let's baptize them. Yeah. No, he, this was proven, no, they're good right now. Right. You take them as they are because there you go. Um, the phrase there in verse 48 baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important phrase too because yep. you think that goes all the way back to Acts 2 as well. Uh, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved from Joel 2. Uh, were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, so here it is again in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 22.16 we're going to be we're going to see uh, baptized washing away sins calling on his name. Mm -hmm. Put all that together that's how we do that. I mean, it's this action that does uh, that does help us to enter in that relationship, to wash away the sins, uh, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, some will say, though, but doesn't the Spirit prove that they were saved? The Spirit can't have fellowship with darkness, and so, uh, you know, are, are, is there any other example anywhere of someone who's not already a follower of God, a Christian, that has the Holy Spirit. I mean, you think about the Holy Spirit can uh, inhabit a donkey and help the donkey to talk. That yeah. happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it can do whatever he wants to do. Exactly. <laughs> and so... I've said that very thing. But the, the Spirit can do what he wants to do. <laughs> He's God. So, I mean, there you go. Um, was... Was this showing that these people were saved? If if this was a, a case of where, hey, these guys are already saved, I think verse 47 would probably have read a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't. Um, and I think the implication is, like I said before, they don't have to become Jews first. You know, they are allowed to become Christians just as they are. Yeah. And, and so, us too. We are allowed to become Christian. We don't have, oh, and this, this too, we don't have to fix our lives first. 
You know, sometimes we, we hear people say, well, I'll come to Jesus once I get everything together. Mm-hmm. Or I'll become a Christian once I, I solve all these problems. If you could solve those problems on your own, you already would have. Right. It's not up to us to fix that. We, we bring ourselves to the Lord, and He's the one that can help us through that. Um, it's evident that um, I, I, I would think that baptism was, was part of, of some of the things that Peter taught them. As I said a second ago, I don't, I don't think that the words that are limited from verses 34 through 43 was the totality of what Peter preached. I think there was probably more said than just that. And, and that's not to say that what he said in those 9 or 10 verses wouldn't be sufficient. It, it, it technically probably would be. Um, yeah. But but I, I tend to think, especially the fact that he's he's there all day, and then the, the end of verse 48 says that he remained for even more days. I think it probably was, yeah. was more to the content of the lesson. But I'm, I'm going to say that probably baptism was, was somewhere in there. I don't think it was like the first thing that he started with. And he started with this stuff that we we read in thirty four through forty three about you know establishing the the lordship of Christ and um, and how all that works. But um, I mean, verse forty four, while Peter was still speaking these words, there were probably more things that he was saying. We don't know how far he got and, and everything that he had done by that time. Yeah, um, and that's that's the way a lot of these. I, I guess it's a, it's a good thing to say when we we read like a, a recorded sermon from someone. Throughout the Bible, um, it's not necessarily going to be every single word that they said. Right. You hear, you look at the the four gospels, uh, and you hear some things in one gospel that Jesus said in the same sermon that another gospel records, but it's something that isn't mentioned in the other one. Um, is it because well somebody just made it up? No, it's it's just they're focusing on different parts. It, it wasn't a word for word transcription. Yeah. Um, and just say one more thing about, because there are folks that are proponents of Holy Spirit baptism, that that is something that people should be seeking today. Um, and sometimes when, when folks talk about that, you, you, you would almost get the impression that it just sounds like people are getting Holy Spirit baptism all throughout the Bible. Hmm. But the yeah. truth is, those few people that were there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and these few people that are here at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, do the math. That's it. Yeah. That's all, that's all the examples that we have of that in the whole Bible. Uh, so it's not like there's just Holy Spirit baptism just happening to everybody, you know, here, there, and everywhere. Um, and then the other thing that we're kind of confronted to, to, to give an answer for is what's said in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 5 when the Bible says there that there is one baptism. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Well, right here in Acts chapter ten, we've we've kind of got two baptisms. Okay. So so which one is the one baptism that that Christians now need to be seeking after? Um, and it's not even that Cornelius and his family were even seeking after the Holy Spirit baptism. This again, it was just this was God's God's way of of giving His uh, approval to what was happening there. Um, the baptism that's talked about again and again after this, the kind that's still talked about in the remainder of Acts, the kind of baptism that's uh, talked about in the, the epistles uh, through the remainder of the New Testament, it's water baptism. Water baptism uh, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's what we need to be seeking for, and that's what we need to be, that's what I want to be doing, because uh, that's what those people did in order to be, in order to be saved. Yeah.
Amen. Uh, I think that, that that's, I, I don't know how we could uh, not see that. Verse 47, who can refuse the water? When Jesus was on the earth, he, he was baptizing too. Yep. Uh, same time John was. Here John was baptizing in, in certain places because there was much water there. Yeah. Um, would you need a, a lot of water if it was the Spirit? <laughs> you know, uh, I think that um, there, there's a lot to show us. Uh, water was heavily involved. Yeah. Um, well, that's we've said a lot. Uh, there's a lot in this chapter. Uh, Forty-eight verses, full of full of lots of content. Uh, I know you maybe even had more things that you wanted to say, but I'll I'll hold the line to give you the chance to <laughs> speak now or forever hold your peace. Well, I think I'll hold my peace on a lot of it. There, there's a lot of cool things um, that we can do with that. But I think it's just important to see that overall picture and just keep in mind this, it was a monumental thing for the Gentiles to be brought in, and we should be thankful for that every single day. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for this, we, we wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. It, it, we would not be sitting here and, and discussing this because it wouldn't be for us. Um, but because of this, we are able um, to have fellowship with the Lord. We're able to become Christians, be, a, be able to take part in that. And, um, you know, along with all of this, uh, just the importance of the Word of God, the importance of studying and, and meditating, um, thinking about what it means, we need to take that more seriously. We need to do more of that. And so all i got to say is, guys, just keep studying, keep your nose in the Word, and, and let's do this again. The last thing I want to say to just kind of provide some balance to comment that I made earlier, uh, and this is a good kind of parting application thing. Um, I said earlier we want to be looking for for the Corneliuses. And, and I do believe that there are Corneliuses in our world, in our right here in our communities that we live in. And, and it doesn't matter where you're living at, I think it's, it's true wherever you are. Um, having said that, that's probably not going to be most people that we encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. Good and sometimes point. what happens is is we're only looking for the Corneliuses. We're looking for the guy who's got, you know, one foot in the baptistry already and the other foot's on a banana peel and he's just ready to go, you know, <laughs> as soon as he slips on that thing. You know, we're looking for kind of, again, converting a Cornelius would not take a whole lot of effort, let's be True. honest. Yeah. Um, you get somebody like that who you know wants the word. When he gets it, I mean, man, he's just gung ho about it. Uh, those are a piece of cake. The majority of folks that we're going to encounter are are, are going to be in many ways, you know, the opposite of Cornelius or just be a, a lesser version of Cornelius, and they're probably going to take more work, and it's going to take more uh, effort on our part, and um, it, it take more time, and. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether whether it's a Cornelius or whether it's a you know a hard project like a like a Saul um, or whether it's somebody that you know requires some pretty intensive Bible study like the eunuch uh, or whoever it is. Uh, we just need to be ready to do that uh, and be looking for again the only criteria. That, that really needs to be used in our evangelistic efforts is, is do you have a soul? Hmm. If you have a soul, then I'm interested in you. And it doesn't matter how tainted that soul may be. It doesn't matter how far along in the process you know your soul may be spiritually. Um, we need to have a, a, a just a keen eye and a fervor 
to want to be able to share the word whenever and however that we can. And um, that's one of the best things about Acts is because we're just getting just a variety of different types of people that have different situations and we're learning some strategies and we're learning some things about how to best deal with with people but of course each person's different and so mm-hmm. um, we're gonna have to use the wisdom that uh, that God provides for us the examples that we have here in order to make the best determinations and how we um, how we share the word, but maybe that's an exhortation of uh, don't stop studying right now. Yeah, you know, read the rest of Acts, and and we're going to discuss a lot of people who weren't a Cornelius, yeah, or an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, we're going to see a lot of people who were in a lot of different positions. Yeah, and so uh, and again, I think that's why we have this. That's why it's there. Well, we'll pick up then next week with uh, Acts chapter 11, which will be, at least the first half of the chapter is going to be kind of um, rehearsing the, the events with Cornelius, but that's even that's for a very specific purpose, and uh, I look forward to talking about that next time. Until then, thank you so much for listening along with us.